Eric Tan has been on both sides of the IT coin as a consultant and now in an operations role as the VP of Business Services and IT at Coupa. In this episode of IT Visionaries, Eric discusses how he grew up destined to be in IT, despite a brief segue as a CPA. He also discusses what it means to join and lead a company that has doubled in size twice since he joined the organizations and the challenges that growth present. And he talks about his excitement that comes when innovation happens in every part of the organization. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Vision.org. And across from me in studio, Eric, how's it going? Good. Ian, how are you? You know, it's a it's a great day and it's a great day to be talking to a wonderful company here in the Bay Area. And you are in an exciting time. We've actually had, this is uh, for our listeners that might not know this, we actually had um, the chief marketing officer of Coupa on a different podcast on marketing trends. And now we get you on IT Visionaries. I feel like this is exciting stuff. And Coupa is at an area as a company that is a really interesting place from an IT perspective. Can you share a little bit about what your roles and responsibilities are at Coupa? Absolutely. Uh, so thanks, first of all, thanks for having me here, Ian. Really excited to be here. I don't know about it being a really nice day. I mean, <laughs> we, we both had our challenges with, you know, rain and traffic. Pouring rain. <laughs> pouring rain and traffic getting out here. Uh, but just to, just to give you a bit of background, my role at Coupa is twofold. One is to help build an IT architecture and infrastructure for an organization that's rapidly growing. And then the second part of my role is really bringing innovation into Coupa, both within the company and uh, for our customers. I I love that. And I love that innovation is core to your role. And we're going to get into all of that and a lot of the cool stuff that you're working on. But first, how'd you get into IT? (laughs) Uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting story. So my dad was in IT. Oh, uh, really? Yep. So, so my dad was in IT and I was pretty blessed growing up, you know, having the latest technology around me. So, so my dad's first job was actually a meteorologist. <laughs> no yep. kidding. This was back in the seventies. He was a meteorologist and he worked his way up to become a CIO at a bank. So you can imagine the, the, the transition I went through growing yeah. up, seeing a dad that had the latest tools, gadgets, toys around him and having the opportunity to interact with them, whether it's you know a new PC that he brought home that I could rip apart and start tinkering around or programming in you know some of the old languages like basic and so forth. So so he was he was a role model and you know an inspiration of how you know I've always uh, enjoyed IT. I think you might be the first person that we've had on the show that comes from an IT background or like, you know, it's like the family business. That's, that's really interesting. That's so cool. You know, because I think, especially here in the Valley, you have folks who have people in their family who are, you know, developers or programmers or kind of are were part of like the old school Silicon Valley or Inventure or something like that. But having your dad, be, it's big shoes to fill then. Very big shoes to fill. And, uh, you know, he, he every now and then, so he's, he's retired now, he's in his 70s. And every now and then he does 
you know, make me jump on a call with him and say, hey, you know, talk me through your problems. Oh, Maybe that's I can, great. I can help you solve it. And he'll bring out, you know, his books from, from IBM 1983 and show me. I, I've solved this one before. That's really interesting because I think a lot of times we look at problems that we have now as so novel. It's like, oh, well, you didn't have to deal with, you know, whatever, mobile. But they had totally different, you know, problem sets back then that probably the threads and the themes and especially the leadership skills that all of that stuff really, other than, you know, maybe remote workers to a certain point, but a lot of those leadership challenges are the same from, you know, the 80s that they are now. Absolutely. So you had some interesting experiences at companies like PwC and looked at this cloud computing world from kind of a different lens. Can you explain kind of like what, what you were doing back then and how, how that kind of shaped what you're, you're working on now? Sure, Ian. So I spent the, you know, a larger part of my career, you know, probably two decades helping companies build their technology architecture. And, you know, right before I left PwC, my focus was helping companies through their cloud transformation journey. What, what that means was, you know, th this was a time where we had a lot of companies that were, cloud was new, and companies were trying to figure out what their cloud strategy was, whether it was do we replace existing legacy architecture with new cloud computing technologies, which will allow the business to move faster? Or it could be a company such as, such as Adobe moving from, you know, a, a CD software-based subscription, uh, so it's not subscription, but a CD software-based company to creative cloud, right? So transforming their, their businesses into cloud-based or SaaS-based businesses. So that was my role, trying to understand and, and help companies move on to their cloud transformation or cloud journeys. And again, every, every client I, I had a chance to interface with, it was always different, right? So it was really interesting. Yeah. And so moving from like the consultant side to the operator side, was that a kind of weird transition and making the jump? Because you were at PwC for, you know, 12 years. So a lot of, I, I think... We've heard that a lot of people struggle with that transition from, you know, going from consulting to operator because it's such a different kind of mindset. Did you struggle with that at all? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I, that's a great question, Ian, and, and I absolutely did. You know, I think it's it's funny because having first joined Cooper and having served, you know, a lot of companies in the Valley and, you know, and I moved out here from Boston, a lot of companies in the technology sector and life science sector I thought I had it, right? Yeah. I've developed IT strategy plans for, you know, my clients. I've been very tactical in terms of implementing, you know, security strategies, ERPs. When I got to Cooper, and at that time we were really young, you know, it's just under 500 employees. I thought, you know, man, I got this. What, what I didn't realize was that this is hard. This is hard for a couple of reasons. I think Cooper was experiencing such growth. Yeah. Right. So, so, for example, one thing I didn't anticipate was that my employee base would grow by 2x in yep. the span of one year. I didn't anticipate the fact that, hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to acquire four new companies. Yeah, totally. You know what? I'm going to have a new leadership team, a new chief marketing officer, Chandar, a new chief revenue officer, and so forth. And every time there's a new leadership change, 
they bring in their new ideas. Yeah. So all that changes. So imagine coming into a company, expecting or having the expectation to build a architecture for a growing company, having all these changes happen. And guess what? By the way, you do not have the backing of 200,000 people. Yeah. Uh, like what you used to have at PwC. Here's here's your IT budget. Let's make things work. Yeah. And then the, and don't ask for more money until you start <laughs> making stuff work, you know, sort of thing. Exactly. Um, you know, I think Coupa is uniquely positioned for your experiences particularly. And I thought this was a fascinating kind of piece of your background. You know, Coupa does business spend management, but you also did some time in finance at Arthur Anderson and which is, you know, a, a relic of the past at this point, but was, you know, one of the leading places uh, in the world at that time. Did, did your kind of finance background, did that kind of help you make this decision and kind of help you understand this ecosystem um, in, in a way that was more, you know, it was like uh, easier to, to, to adopt or to, to step in and, and immediately understand what's going on? No, a- absolutely, Ian. And, and it's, it's really ironic because the reason I actually got into finance and accounting was because my dad told me to do that. And that's actually yeah. what, I, what, what I did in school and ended up getting my CPA. My first job out of, out of school was actually leading a finance team for a startup in the 90s. That's great. Wait, you were actually a C- or you're a CPA? Uh, I'm a CPA. That's crazy. Because my dad did not believe there was any future in being an IT person because all I was doing was also building games. I was yeah. programming games. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. no, there's no hope in that. This was in the 90s. So he said, hey, you know what? Get, get a real job. Go study to be a, a finance accounting guy, which is what I did. Go get your CPA. And then the first job I, I got out of school was, hey, you know, it's a startup. It was... 10 people and they said, hey, you, you seem to know, you know, debits and credits. Why don't you be our head of finance? That's so funny. So, so that was the background behind it. And, you know, we talked to a lot of different IT leaders that start in different facets of IT. And I think with the, the entire digital transformation now, you know, obviously we, we mentioned the Marketing Trends podcast that we do here at Mission, but there's so many parallels between you know, IT, between marketing, between this digital world, you know, chief digital officer and all of that. And now finance being a huge part of this, your finance systems are so technical now and, you know, having a platform that you can track and have governance over. Coupa specifically has some of the highest adoption rates in the industry. How does that happen? Like, how do you, how do you look at things like UI and adoption and what, what makes stuff like that easy? Uh, so you're absolutely right, Ian. Coupa is one of the highest adoption rates in the industry. I think, um, so specific to your question on uh, UI, we, we believe no UI is the best UI. Ooh, yep. I like that. No UI is the best UI. You know, a lot of our customers that go on the platform enjoy the experience because a lot of the thinking is already done for them. J- just for some context, Coupa is a spend management platform. If you think about Anything you want to buy, think about Amazon for business, right? That's what we are. Anything you want to buy, anything you want to spend, any for your employees, for the company, anything you want to purchase, whether it's a product, you know, a service, you can do it on the platform. And, and the idea here is to make it so easy for employees to do that. At the same time, have the right safeguards in terms of you know risk management in place, and, and all that. I guess, thinking happens in the background. The, the Coupa engine helps think through, hey, for example, 
is this purchase at an acceptable risk level? And, and how do we know that? We've evaluated the different suppliers and done a risk assessment on whether, hey, is it a good, su- good supplier or not? That, that's an example of what the, the platform does. So it removes the traditional you know, thought process or thinking that's required. Because if you think about it in a traditional sense, what, what you would do, say, for example, you wanted to buy drinking water and you would go, hey, Fiji, I would like some Fiji water. Where, where should I go to buy it? Should I buy it from Staples or should I buy it from the mom and pop shop down the street? Well, yeah. if you put the request in there, Coupa is smart enough to tell you, well, Staples, here's Staples rating, risk rating as a supplier, and here is the mom and pop's risk rating. In a traditional environment, I guess, what you would have had to do is ask around or do some research yeah, with yeah, each and yeah. every one of those companies to make your decision. So that's an example of something that Coupa does automatically for you. And I think it's something interesting specifically for IT leaders because so much of spend governance, you have so much, whether it's shadow IT or whatever you want to call it, so many people are spending with different vendors now that are outside of the IT organization that you don't have a clear picture of. Do you feel like, and and I guess taking a step back, how much time do you spend with customers versus like in-house? Like what's your kind of breakdown there? I would say that it's probably 70, 30, 70 being in-house and 30% with customers. Coupa, and the reason for that is Coupa is, you know, still growing very rapidly. As I shared earlier, we've grown 2x in terms of headcount over the past year. There's a lot of internal internal processes that needs to be automated and fixed, yeah. right? I mean, totally. uh, we've got a lot of technical debt, like many startups that needs uh, focus and attention. And the, the rest of my time would be, and 30% of my time would be with customers. That's really, uh, that's really cool. And I think that, you know, it's one of the reasons why we're excited to have you on the pod is this exact moment in time where when your company doubles, you know, twice in, in the past year and you're going through this huge growth period, all of these systems immediately become, oh, geez, we have to do this accounting, pardon the pun here, of all of what the heck are we doing? Did you feel like, I, I, and I, I don't really know what the, you know, the IT leadership team was like before you got on board, but. Non-existent. Okay. That, yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So what was that like? What was it like going into the problem that first kind of 90 days on the job and saying like, okay, we got to get, take stock of all of this and figure out where the heck we're at. Yeah. So uh, that's a good question, Ian. And, and to be honest, there's no silver bullet here. I think when I first got to Coupa, there was IT, right? To, to be fair, there was IT. And, you know, like, like many companies in the Valley, IT was disaggregated and the function of it was spread across all the different employees. Yeah. Every employee at Coupa is, in fact, an IT person, an IT leader, whatever you want to call it. But no governance. But there was to, no governance, yeah. right? So, so there was no strict policies and processes and so forth. We still don't have it today. I don't think that's the right model for a company our size and... Uh, especially if we want to innovate at the rate we want to innovate. So, so that was kind of what I walked into. I think today, fast forward, you know, two years later, we still encourage that innovation across 1,300 employees. I think, you know, again, the ideas and, and innovation should come from the, the teams. Yeah, absolutely. The only difference is that there are safeguards that we that we put in place. So I'll give you an example. If you're in HR and you want to explore a new technology, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think the traditional approach, if you think five years ago, HR had to come, ask for permission from the IT guy, and then you go 
do you know we kind of go back and forth and we say yes or no and typically it's no and the HR guy gets upset. I don't think that works in in today's world. I, I'm of the mindset that for innovation to occur, well, if you're in HR, you should know what's good for you. I think it's safe for you to bring the ideas to the table. It's safe for you to be experimental, right? You know, as as long as we have rules to make sure we protect all of our corporate assets, right? So things like. Well, are we giving out employee data? And if we are giving out employee data to this vendor or、uh, new technology, how do we know how are we going to get that back? How do we know that they are they are safe? So those are the questions that are in place today as a public company. I think we just need that. Yeah, and there's a lot of innovation that happens from the ground up. You know, a lot of the. IT leaders that we talk to are doing things like hackathons, are doing things like citizen development,、um, having people on their team augment their IT organization. They're going to you know demo days and all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, there's a trade-off, right? There's a trade-off to all that time being spent with the innovation-focused stuff. How do you look at trying to stay up to speed on all the current trends and look at? Building a culture of innovation where you can bring those, you know, bottom-up ideas. It's funny, and I smiled, Ian, when you said hackathon because we just had our fourth hackathon. Oh, did you really? Yesterday,、oh, nice. yep. And essentially, it was getting the team together in a room, allowing them to do whatever they wanted. So, so the rules were very simple: three, three things. One is come in the morning with two ideas of something that you want to solve that you it's just been bugging you that you you want to solve. Or it could be something that you've just been meaning to want to do, and you just never had time. That whole day is yours、right? awesome. to do whatever you want. The second rule was no email, <laughs> no email. And the third rule was if anyone were to outside of a P one, if anyone were to come and bug you, you can officially blame me、oh, and tell、great. them, "Yep, it's it's Eric's fault." That's awesome. Yeah, and and we had some really really cool stuff yesterday come up. Really good ideas, and it's it's interesting, you know. I think that, you know, sometimes just carving out that time to allow engineers to experiment with new ideas, spend concentrated, uninterrupted time to build and create something new, yields amazing results. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that is exciting when it's serialized, when you know that there's always going to be these times, you know, once a quarter or whatever it is, or Once a year, whatever whatever your cadence is, that it's like I know I'm gonna get some time to work on some stuff because otherwise those things just kind of lay dormant and you know whatever the Kleenex approach, right? Where it's just you shove another Kleenex down into the box and there's just kind of all this stuff and you don't get that release from your employees that want to create and make amazing things. Have you seen like a mindset shift from some of the, some of your employees that have felt you know liberated by being able to create these things and like actually push them out into the world? No, absolutely, and I think that, and again, I I just go back to the experience I had yesterday, where you have a twenty-year-old kid who's you know heads down, right? Like like in any IT in any IT role, he's heads down, dealing with support tasks on a daily basis, working hard, getting through tickets, you know, being responsive, and he's standing up there walking through his thirty-six lines of code. That was、yeah. it. That that was all he. But he's never coded before. Yeah, he has never coded before. He did thirty six lines of code that has helped the company reduce about one hundred and fifty tickets for the year, and I was like, "Wow, what? Thank you and congratulations!" Right, and and just seeing him, 
just seeing the pride and joy in that individual is just amazing. And so he didn't know how to code before that? Was it like a low code tool or was it, what was it? So this was uh, Apex in, in Salesforce. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. there you go. So so he didn't know how to code before, but now you, you, you have him in a room with others who are serious coders, right? Whether it's Python, yeah, yeah. Or PHP. And they go, hey, why don't we help you? And then, so you see that collaboration as well and that team camaraderie, that, that, that's exciting, right? So you see that, you see the output where you've got this junior guy who's so proud of his 36 lines of code that solves real problems at Coupa. I, I think that's, that's wonderful. That's so cool. Shouts to, our, shouts to our sponsor. Great plug for them. Doing great work. <laughs> we love them. Keeping, keeping lights on here for, for IT visionaries. Now, Ian, and, and to, I guess to answer your initial question on, you know, how, how do I get current on, you know, the latest on innovation and so forth, I think yeah. one of the most powerful things that I found helped me in this, in my role, right? So I'm very new to this role, or I was very new to this role, was the community. There's a very strong CIO community here in the Valley. Totally. That has helped younger CIOs or newer CIOs like myself learn the ropes quickly because we all have common problems. We, we try to solve them in similar ways, right? Honestly, that's that has been the fastest way for anyone to accelerate their learnings, right? I think attending the conferences and, you know, vendor demos and all that are good. But I think when you're trying to get a response, a quick response on whether something is working, something is not, how did you solve a particular challenge, that CIO community is invaluable. That's really interesting because that is part of the reason why we, you know, launched the podcast in the first place was this, a lot of this stuff that CIOs are talking about specifically here in, in the Bay Area and in Silicon Valley that was happening, these really deep, insightful conversations, uh, you know, the deep IT conversations that we wanted to share with the world. You know, we have listeners in 129 countries, I think. And I think that that's part of those things we wanted to be able to share with IT leaders all over the, all over the world because... Some of the stuff that you see here or some of the stuff that you're working on in another country, some of the problems are the same. And if we can help do that uh, in a more meaningful way, then you know we can be helpful at scale. Do you find those types of communities and, and your, your, you know, your CIO network something that is really helpful when you're going to pitch leadership on ideas? Because I think there's a lot of times hesitancy from the IT leadership to go to the CIO or excuse me, go to the CEO and say, Hey, we have this big audacious thing that we want to do, but I talked to, you know, three other CIOs. This is how they did it. Here's how I think we can do it. And it's going to drive X amount of business results. Absolutely. And then actually that, that's almost like the number one question I get from my CFO, CEO, or CEO, where, where they come back and, and that's their data point, right? If I come back with whether it's, uh, hey, you know, I, I think we should invest or explore a new collaboration technology, or hey, I think we should start exploring a new uh, sales tool technology. The first question that typically comes is, well, you know, where else have they have we seen them implemented? And then more importantly, who have you talked to, right? Yeah. Where has it succeeded? And and equally as important, where has it failed, and why, right? I think those are the questions that, or in fact, the number one question I get, you know, from my CEOs or CFOs, you know, prior to starting any IT project. I want to get back to the becoming an IT leader conversation. You wrote a really good article. We'll link it up in the show notes here called Becoming an IT Leader in Insider's Guide to Digital Transformation. And I thought it was really insightful. 
you know, what you talked about getting organized isn't the sexiest thing to do, but it's necessary, which is kind of some of the stuff that, you know, you came in with the organization, uh, you know, aim small, win big, you know, anticipate changes, let that guide your decision making. Why'd you write the article and kind of walk me through why why some of this stuff matters? Uh, the, the reason I wrote the article was because, you know, I felt it was relevant to share with the world my experience, or I want to guess my personal transformation. You know, again, having, having spent a large part of my career in uh, technology consulting, I've always had the mindset where I can solve anything and everything uh, and easily. Yeah. So, so I've always had that mindset, whether it's Cooper or, you know, working with any of my, you know, working with any of my clients, whether it's Google, Apple or, or whoever, I think that all changed when I was in the driver's seat, right? Being a customer myself, yeah. right? And realizing, hey, resources are not unlimited. You do not have unlimited resources. That's number one. Number two, a company, especially like Cooper, its, it's priorities changes, yeah. right? The priorities changes on almost, a, I don't want to say a daily basis, but pretty often. Now the goals are the same, but the priorities do change. And you need to- And the tactics, right? Like the, the, the way that you're implementing these things, like the vision of the company, the mission of the company remains the same, but that's where the flexibility as a leader comes in, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I know we always talk about this concept of agility and so forth. I mean, that's all relevant. And being able to be nimble enough to make those, you know, quick decisions is, was really eye-opening because I didn't see that. I didn't see that when I was in, you know, as a consultant on being on the outside, you would come in, have a idealistic, you know, process flow, idealistic technology stack and go, hey, I don't understand. Why is it so difficult? Implement this. This will solve all your problems. Yeah. Well, when you're inside, you, then you begin to realize, well, there are certain reasons why things are working a certain way. And you also start questioning, hey, if we, if we fix this, we spend three months solving this problem, well, what's not getting done? Yep. Right? So I think being able to balance that was really eye-opening for me and, and part of the reason why I wrote that article. I, th I thought it was worth sharing with uh, my peers and you know my network. Yeah. The consulting piece is something that is, when you go into operator land, a lot of folks immediately say, oh, this was the one challenge that I didn't realize you all were facing. And sometimes that's like a leader that just doesn't buy in. Sometimes that's a set of employees that don't buy in. Sometimes that's whatever. It's like, I get you. I, I, we believe the same thing. We see the same future. We, you know, we know that we need to invest in, you know, AI or Bitcoin or blockchain or, you know, whatever, whatever those things are. And like, this is the roadmap to do that. Like, I'm with you, but I have this blocker in my way. Did you feel like when you were on the consulting side that sometimes the CIOs and the IT leaders that you were working with had problems that were like non-IT problems that kind of influenced them making IT decisions? All the time. Yeah. You know, I think that 50% of, you know, any IT project is, is not about the technology. It's about the change management aspect of it, navigating people to rally for the same mission on, or, or why we're doing a particular transformation and also the adoption, right? Making sure that people understand why we're changing things, making sure there's sufficient training around it and support around it. You know, I've always believed, Ian, that a lot of the technology we have can do what we need, right? I've seen so many projects in my lifetime where 
people are just changing technology for the sake of changing technology. Totally. And and it's good and bad because sometimes you you need a, a large project or a transformation project to help rally everyone around and you know, right or wrong, it's changing the technology. But in reality, you're really trying to change the process. You're tra- trying to change the behavior of people and uh, to make things more you know, efficient. Yeah, it's the tree falls in the forest, right? If you have a much better technology that you implement that nobody adopts, then it's way worse than the than the older technology that everyone was using that was that was done the right way. Yeah. Um, and that's I think the the art of the CIO's job is it's change management a lot of times. Like that's the thing that I think is so exciting when we talk to a lot of IT leaders is that this change management and embracing technology and being the technologist at the company that is partnering with the business units and working with customers and seeing what's coming and anticipating those changes like you talked about in the article and being part of that digital transformation and one of the interesting things you know that you said is that digital transformation is a never-ending journey and that when you see a six-month IT project it strikes you as too long now why do you think, like, how do you balance this kind of never-ending journey with, I, I, I don't know if you guys use sprints or something like that. So, so we do have sprints. We, we run three-week sprints. Three-week, wow. Yeah, so we run three-week sprints. It never used to exist prior to me joining. But it's also interesting because I don't think we have it down to perfection, right? So we've been running sprints for the past year and a half. I think we continue to tweak it. It's, it's evolved. But I think it's important to have, again, some level of structure so that the business can see the outputs of whatever they they request for and also it provides you know some sort of a definitive timeline to get back to a customer or end user as well as the developer working on something right so yeah i mean and one of the things i like that you said you're like throw out the five-year it roadmaps that you made a one-year plan and it was good for about one month i love that it's just such a it's such a crisp insight to say, you got to anticipate changes, you got to anticipate where you're going to, but ultimately, like, that's not going to stack up wins. The five, five-year IT roadmap is, is not, not going to be helpful. No, and that's very true, Ian. You know, I think back to, actually, I think this was day four or day five of my time at Cooper, and I was sitting across the table with Todd Ford, who's our CFO, and, and I started writing down, you know, my priorities and, you know, I had, you know, a nice presentation deck that I presented in front of him. And he was like, yeah, sure. You know, I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know, and I, I remember very clearly, you know, the, the items that I listed there three months from when I joined Cooper, those were, I would say two of those were irrelevant because things had changed. The business had changed. You know, we, we had evolved. There were other new focus areas. There was a new acquisition that happened. Yeah. And I think the key to being a successful IT leader is one, not just anticipating the change, but figuring out at what time do you start changing course, right? Because one could argue, hey, well, this was the five items I had set as my priorities. I'm the IT leader and I I should know what they are and, and you can stick with them or you can make the swap out because you realize, hey, things have changed. You also have been focused on Coupa Pay. Could you tell me a little bit about that? I'm super excited about Coupa Pay. Coupa Pay is a new product that we launched a year ago. It solves two problems. One is the payments problem in the B2B space. Yeah. So if you think about if you're a company and you need to pay another company, use Coupa Pay. And also the uh, supplier fi- financing side of things. Those are the two things we're trying to solve. 
We recently had two partnerships, one with Barclays and one with JP Morgan. Really excited about them in the uh, virtual card space. And yeah, I mean, the, the market's really excited about it. There's a lot of energy behind Cooper Pay. And, um, you know, there's, there's more to come. Can I ask you for a uh, request for product to an integration? Actually, I don't know if it already has this, so it might. We're a veteran-owned business and supplier diversity channels are horrible. It is so confusing. And a lot of people want to do business with, you know, different supplier diversity channels. And the supplier diversity whole ecosystem is such a nightmare. And I'm like, I just want to be identified and like tracked under this thing in a way that's easy where I don't have to fill out a form that takes seven hours to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, so <laughs> yes, we, we should definitely include you guys as part of our supply network. So Cooper has a, a supply network of 4 million suppliers. And we actually helped, uh, you know, it reminds me of a story helping one of our customers, MGM, MGM yep. Resorts, where they were completely paper-based. Their, their whole procurement system at one point was completely paper-based. And just for some context, MGM has uh, somewhere in the tune of 10,000 suppliers, 10,000 plus suppliers that they, yeah, that they manage and about 1.1 million invoices wow. that they go through every year. Cooper helped automate all that. It's one of those problems that when you see it on paper, pardon the pun, it's remarkable that stuff had been done for so long without automation. And and just thinking about how much data that is too. And I mean, I guess let's go into that, the AI conversation, because I think AI and machine learning with all of this data and information about suppliers and about how people are spending money, I think is fascinating. I mean, CFOs would love to have predictive insights. Are you working with AI? How, how do you view machine learning and the future of payments? Uh, I think AI and machine learning have come a long way. Having said that, I still think it's in it's in its infancy. If you look at the past, you know, say maybe ten years, everyone has been focused on data, yeah. right? And without data, AI and machine learning is not going to work. But it's interesting because you know, you, if you look again over the past ten years, data has evolved so much. Where we ha we move from structured data to unstructured data, we move from big data to data lakes. Mm -hmm. Now we've got such a wealth of data that deploying technologies like AI and machine learning makes predictive capabilities so much more powerful. So I'll give you an example. Uh, at Coupa, we process about a trillion dollars worth of transactions for all our customers. Imagine deploying AI and machine learning on that wealth of information. You'll be able to tell stories around how before you even know what you want, you'll be able to tell stories on how your employees are buying. You'll be able to tell stories about opportunities on, hey, maybe here's a smarter way to source a particular product for your company because you know what? We're buying it from 10 different vendors. And you could actually, if you bought it from this one vendor, you could actually have it at a at a better rate. And we consolidate all of those purchasing power. So I think it's, you know, that there is a huge upside and opportunity there. It's something that Cooper is focused on. That's a really interesting use case. And I think that as we continue down the road, it there's going to be so many more insights to be gleaned from this stuff, especially sharing things that you didn't even know what's happening in your own company. And I think that's the exciting part of like, wait, what is happening? <laughs> like, wait, isn't, wait, people are doing what now? Like, we're, wait, we're, we're using this same vendor in seven different ways and we could just consolidate an account. That's really exciting. 
What about internally? Are you using like AI and machine learning to do and to improve any processes internally? No, good question, Ian. You know, I think outside of, you know, Coupa and Coupa program, we're also investing some resources and time exploring AI and machine learning in selected areas at Coupa. One area in particular that I'm pretty excited about, and I've seen the technology evolve significantly over the past few years, is conversational bots, mm-hmm. uh, AI conversational bots. And there are several you know, companies that they are doing it really well. Google is one of them. But I've seen the technology evolve from... I'm going to date myself, but Dra- <laughs> Dragon Speak Easy was, you know, the the product from 20, 30 years ago. And, and I'm seeing that now come to fruition whereby you actually engage with a bot to solve a particular problem. And it's, it's, it's a natural conversation that you're having with this bot to help, say, solve tickets, help desk tickets. It's a yeah. great use case. And when I, you know, was looking at the analysis that the AI and machine learning was was doing, they could actually, better than a human, tell you, hey, here's where majority of your cases are coming from, right? It's not just password resets, but password resets specific to this application. And here's how I'm deflecting or responding to those tickets. I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah, because absolutely. You extrapolate that and think about it solving problems that you have in China in India, where the the questions are coming in in a different language, these bots are equipped to solve those problems. So I think that's an area that, you know, I'm pretty interested in. And I think that there are opportunities there for Coupa or other, you know, other companies to invest in. Let's get into the lightning round. Lightning round is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce and the lightning platform leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. And on mobile, which is great, these questions in the lightning round are fast and easy, just like the lightning platform. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Waze. Waze? (laughs) Okay. I mean, I guess that's a little fun. How about favorite time-saving tool? Slack. Favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? Um, Google AI. What, what specifically? Anything? I think conversational chat is pretty cool. I think TensorFlow technology for machine learning is, is really state of the art. It's if not uh, the number one thing out there. Do you have a favorite team, sports or otherwise? I'm huge into tennis, which is not a team sport, but I'm a huge fan of volleyballs. So, huh. yep. How about favorite recent book or podcast that you've uh, read or listened to? Phil Knight, Shoe Dog. Oh, Shoe Dog, yeah, that's yep. great. We did a story out of there for one of our uh, one of our podcasts. He's just man, he's it's good stuff. Yeah, former accountant. Yeah, that's right. Yep, PwC. What is your favorite one day getaway? Or well, you could either say one day getaway in the Bay Area here, or just favorite vacation spot. Uh, let's do one day getaway in the Bay Area. So uh, Half Moon Bay. I live 15 minutes away from the Pacific Ocean. I take my four-year-old over there just to hear the crashing waves and you know enjoy the breeze. I used to go to Half Moon Bay every summer when I was a kid. My buddy lived like five minutes from the beach. Spent a lot of a lot of days freezing in that water. I'd come out and be purple, but <laughs> great waves. What thing are you most excited about for the future of IT? I think blockchain. I know it sounds cliche, but I think that blockchain 
is misunderstood. I think people equate blockchain to cryptocurrency. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of opportunities in supply chain management, in finance that blockchain can help solve, that there are companies investing in this space, but uh, we're just not, not, not enough companies are focused on. Last question for the lightning rounds. What is your best advice for a first time CIO? Find a company that you have just good people to work for. You know, I think that's been the biggest thing for for me at Coupa. I enjoy the the people I work with. I enjoy the people I work for. I don't think many people can say this where you go for Brazilian jiu-jitsu with your boss. Yeah. That's great advice. And it's not one that we hear a lot, but I really think that you're going to spend the majority of your waking life with with people. You should like them. Yep. That's it for the lightning round. Thanks to our friends at the lightning platform by Salesforce. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. We love them and you will too. Eric, that's all we got for today. Anything else? Any final thoughts? No, uh, this was great. Thanks for having me, Ian. And um, hope to be back here soon. Yeah, awesome. We will definitely have you back soon. Maybe on a, a CIO roundtable, we'll uh, tap the shoulder and, uh, and have you come in. Those are a blast. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.